G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. It's Neil with you on this Thursday edition of 2020 and talking through some great issues today. Uh, And special welcome to Stu Miller from Train to Proclaim. Hello, Stu. Welcome back to 2020. Thank you. It's great to be back. Stu, we've had some great conversations over recent times. Uh, last time you were in, remind me what we were talking about. The, that was uh, was all about, as I recall, the myth of friendship evangelism. Uh, some of our listeners might remember that conversation that we had, and we were talking about that, and you just crunched a few numbers and said, uh, you know what, we've often thought that friendship evangelism is the way to go, but when you crunch the numbers... You can actually see that if there are two million Aussies who are uh, Christian churchgoers, uh, and if they all reached out and won one person to Christ, uh, that would mean that there'd be four million churchgoers. But we've actually got 24 million people in Australia, and so uh, the numbers themselves speak volumes in saying that you know we've got to be a little bit more on the edge when it comes to evangelism. That's the sort of thing that really just makes me think. Uh, there's got to be some ways that we actually stimulate and empower Aussie Christians to be more evangelistic. Yeah, I mean, my, most Christians and churches, you know, uh, you know, by the time we've been a Christian about two years, we've sort of uh, don't have a lot of contact with non-Christian people apart from outside of our family or our workplace. And so, you know, very few Christians, as I travel around, we've, we've trained people from over 100 different denominations. And I often, you know, ask people, you know, who here would have five non-Christian friends that, that they're developing relationship with and sharing the gospel with? And normally you don't get any hands that go up in a church, you know. So even if everyone had five people that they were doing that with, um, you know, then that would still be only half the country reached uh, with the gospel. So we've obviously got to go beyond those that we know uh, to those that we don't know. And, and when Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel, you know, that's, that, that word all is, uh, is quite a big all-encompassing word, isn't it? And, uh, you know, it's a very proactive thing, you know, go into all the world. Whereas in friendship evangelism, more like, you know, wait for your friends to come to you and talk to you about it. And um, and while there's some wonderful opportunities with people that we know and with friends, and it's a great opportunity to journey with people, they can see your life, uh, which is great. Um, you know, we've got to go beyond those that we know with the gospel. Well, something to uh, stimulate a little conversation today. Mm. Uh, I know we've we've set up this topic, and I want to invite our listeners to be a part of it. And the topic really today is something a little bit out on the edge, and we're speculating, dreaming a little, and wondering what it would be like. And sometimes it's not a bad thing to have these sorts of conversations. But those first century believers, the ones we read about when we open the Bible in the New Testament and we start to read the stories of those disciples who followed Jesus, who become known as the apostles. Then we've got the book of Acts, which is mm-hmm. the the history of the early church. And uh, really, it's just like an action-packed adventure. It's, uh, it's the characteristics 
of the church of Jesus Christ in its fullness because we saw the establishing of the Christian church in that first century. So uh, the topic today really uh, which we're inviting listeners to call in about is uh, first century Christianity. Uh, If we actually translated some Christians out of the first century and all of a sudden Wow, here they are. Time they appeared machine, in the, bring them to the future. Time machine, I like that. <laughs> uh, if there was a time machine that brought those first century Christians to the 21st century today into our community, into mm-hmm. your community, wherever that might be around Australia, what would they do? What would they feel? What judgments would they make about the way Christians conduct themselves in churches today? Well, here's your opportunity to uh, dream a little today with us. one 800 Our talkback line is open, 1-800-880-876. You can call us and uh, we'd love to have your thoughts. We'll put those to air as quickly as we possibly can. Stu, when we talk about those first century believers, what was so different about them to what we might be seeing around us here in Australia today? Well, when you read the book of Acts, you, you see quite a different picture in the early church than what we have in today's Christianity, unfortunately. Uh, well, here, you know, in Australia, maybe maybe parts of the world, uh, you know, other parts of the world could be closer to the, the book of Acts. But I think we need to realize that 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 Jesus had only just left. You know, he had been with them for three years. He had done miracles. They'd seen amazing things with their own eyes. Um, and that the early church was very, it was very fresh, all the teaching of Jesus. And when he gathered up his his um, disciples, after he rose from the dead, I mean, everyone had pinned their hopes on Jesus being the Messiah, the one that was going to free them. And they didn't realize he was going to die, even though he said he was. They, they sort of didn't take it in. They, they thought, no, this guy's going to you know, be the Messiah. Messiah. He's going to save us. And when he died, they lost hope. But then, of course, he rose from the dead and he appeared 17 different times. And, and what did he say to the, the Mary, the first person he saw in the garden? He said, you know, Mary, go ahead to Galilee. I'll meet you there. What did he say to the disciples behind locked doors? He said, go ahead to Galilee. I'll meet you there. What did he say to the two travelers on the road when he appeared? Go ahead to Galilee. Now, what, what was he doing? Now, he didn't have email. He didn't have a, a website. He didn't have, you know, uh, he couldn't, you know, do a bulletin board or anything, the modern technologies that we've got. He was going around gathering up his disciples and saying, go ahead. I'm going to have a meeting. And over five 500 people actually appeared that day, you know, and he, he gathered them all together and he said his final words before leaving earth. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he ascended. Now, that's that's amazing. You know, it, it, sometimes we just take those words glibly. That this is why it's called the Great Commission. It was Jesus' final words before he left earth. And Matthew, it says, he, you know, he said, go into all the world, make disciples. Um Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and you know, and he talked about you know that these signs shall follow that they those who believe in, in in Mark sixteen, you know, that they shall cast out demons, they'll speak in new tongues, they'll you know the sick will be recovered, and that's what the books of Acts looks like. You know, the disciples every day went out. They preached the gospel. They baptized people. You know, people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Amazing miracles were happening. It was a quite a different picture, you know, to what we're seeing today. While we might be thinking of a different picture, there were some things that were similar to what's happening in the world today. And it's not necessarily just here in Australia, but uh, where you've got those uh, those issues of the fact that taking the gospel is a cross-cultural 
pursuit. Mm. Uh, well, we've got lots of cultures even within our borders here in Australia, so there is a cross-culturalness that you can have about you uh, even in, in this day and age. Yep. There were, in those days, political dictators. Mm. Uh, well, we haven't got a political dictator here in Australia unless you're a really anti-Tony Abbott uh, fan and you think he somehow rather is some sort of a dictator. Of course he's not. We've got a wonderful democracy here in Australia, but, but there were political dictators then and they didn't mess around. Uh, right. They were uh, not only lopping people's heads off, they were crucifying them, they were burning them with tar mm. and they were imprisoning them and mm. uh, a little later on they were feeding them to the lions and mm. uh, gladiators in the rings. I mean, it wasn't a safe place necessarily, no. the uh, the first century. Uh, today, mm. while we see the rise of uh, ISIL and the, you know, the Islamic State, those things that are going on in the Middle East, mm. well, the world is not mm. a safe place today either. Here in Australia, we feel relatively safe, mm. uh, but some of those things were similarities to what we're seeing in the world today. Mm. Definitely. The early, early Christians and stepping out and sharing the gospel uh, risks their lives, and 11 out of the 12 disciples died for their faith. Uh, you know, it wasn't an easy place to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It was a very dangerous thing to be able to present the gospel in those times. And yet the irony is that here in Australia, in a safe place, not many Christians are actually presenting the gospel. And often our fear of someone rejecting us or something is very, very small compared to the fear of being thrown to the lions or being crucified or being killed. Uh, you know, we really have it pretty good, and yet we need to rise above the small fear and small consequences of, of someone saying, you know, oh, go away. You know, because that's really the worst that happens. If you're polite in, in the way that you present the gospel, we really don't have much persecution here in Australia at all. Those 500 that saw Jesus, and mm. uh, you know where we read that in the scriptures, uh, the 500 witnesses, and, uh, and, and it's mentioned there that mm. uh, those 500 at the time of writing or those reading that uh, account in the First Testament were mm. still alive uh, and able mm. to testify to those things that happened. And so we've got 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus. That's right. We haven't got a image in our minds today That's we right. haven't seen the resurrected Jesus that was right. now 2,000 years ago uh, is that something of an impediment for us that we actually haven't seen and touched like Thomas you know putting his finger into the the nail marks in Jesus hands and the, the scar in Jesus side when we haven't actually had that uh, that's something of a, a, a reason why maybe those first century converts disciples then evangelists were mm. perhaps over, uh, uh, you know, excited about their their faith. Yeah, I mean, Jesus said to, to Thomas, "Blessed are those who who believe who have not seen." And really, that's all of us who believe and have not seen Jesus, and you know, actually in the flesh, uh, resurrected. So, but I think you're onto something, Neil. We've we've got to ask the question: Why are we so apathetic? Why is there so few Christians? actually stepping out and sharing the gospel today. I mean, Campus Crusade for Christ statistics say for the church in the West that only 2% of Christians regularly share their faith. When we've got so little persecution, why aren't we all doing it? <laughs> why isn't it happening? Uh, maybe it is because we don't believe. Do we actually believe? You know, uh, if we do, why aren't we actioning that belief and making it happen? I mean, in, in Acts 2, verse, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 42, it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, 
You know, that should be, you know, that, that's the early church. Why isn't the pattern today, you know? It's a challenge for us, Neil, isn't it? It is a challenge and inviting listeners to our conversation today to be a part of it. one 800 880 Our talkback line is open. We are talking about what it would look like if a first century Christian believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, was translated, uh, and we're talking about, you know, by way of a time machine, uh, into the 21st century, what would they think of the things that they would see in Australia today? You can be a part of our conversation. Why don't you call us? one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. We're back with more. Our special guest is Stu Miller from Train to Proclaim. Back with more in just a short while. It's Neil with you on 2020. Stu Miller from Train to Proclaim is our guest this hour. We're talking through the issue of what would a first century Christian be doing today if they were translated into the 21st century and your opportunity to contribute to our conversation today 1-800-880-876 our talkback line is open 1-800-880-876 I mean are there Christians today like those in the first century that might be an interesting uh, topic to talk about Um, whereabouts will we find Christians today who are just like those that we might read of in the book of Acts. Uh, what are your thoughts on that particular topic, uh, uh, Stu? Well, I think the the Western church in general and the Eastern church are, are quite different. I mean, uh, most people who have been on a, on a missions trip or uh, to an Eastern country have found, uh, I think, the church a lot more like the, the early church, that people... Uh, instead of uh, in our society, we rely, you know, if, if we're sick, we go to the doctor. We, we reach for the medicine cabinet. You know, we our first uh, sort of preference is always to, to look to, you know, the, the help that's available in our society because we're affluent. We've got, uh, you know, we're very materialistic. We, we think in that sort of way, you know, whereas in, in their, their culture, they haven't got the medicine cabinet. They haven't got access to good medical supplies. So they look to God. They say, God, you need to heal me. <laughs> you know? And there's amazing miracles happening overseas, you know, in the way of healing and things like this that are, that are going on, the, just like in the book of Acts. Uh, and likewise, um, you know, with the gospel, when, when I go overseas and I, I meet Christians, they're, they're passionate and they, they go over to, to other tribes or other, other people and they're sharing the gospel, even risking their lives to do that. Whereas in our, our day, we, we don't even go and see our neighbor. Often, many of us haven't even been next door to, to, to share the gospel, you know. So so let alone, you know, risking our lives. So it's a, I think in, in Eastern churches, they have some things that are, are a lot easier than our society. I mean, they're very communal based societies. So people are sitting around under a tree. You can just go up to them and it's like evangelism heaven. I talk about it <laughs> because you can just go up and say, can I have a talk with you? Sure. What do you want to talk about? And I want to talk to you about Jesus. Sure. And you can just share with them about Jesus. Whereas when you try that in our culture, you're going to give them, give them the cold shoulder pretty quickly. Uh, we're very, you know, individualistic as a society. I mean, we have big high fences and walls and, and we've got these sort of unwritten rules that you don't disturb me, you know, and, and uh, don't talk about sex or religion or politics, you know, the big no-nos. And so don't push your beliefs on me. So there's all these sort of walls and perceived walls that people have. But it's about having uh, some ways of breaking through those cultural barriers in our society and actually getting the gospel to them. Well, we are taking your calls, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. Let's hear from Julian in Hobart. Hello, Julian. Oh, good afternoon. 
Julian, great to hear from you. What's your contribution to our conversation today, talking uh, about first century Christians? What would they see if they arrived in the 21st century today and made some judgments about Christians? Well, I think they would see a church, uh, speaking about the church in the broad, as being very wealthy, having a massive property, and being influenced much by property issues and lawyers and wealth and accountants. Indeed, the Roman Catholic Church has a bank uh, which has got itself into trouble with money laundering. And uh, I think the early church uh, fathers would be staggered at the uh, wealth of the church. Is it the case, Julian, that uh, when churches get big and wealthy, that sometimes the focus goes off what they might have been focusing on in the first century and more to trying to manage an ever-growing supply of wealth. Yes, indeed. And if we remember St. Paul, uh, he did not physically meet Jesus, but he knew people who had met Jesus in the flesh. Paul had a revelation of Christ uh, on the Damascus Road, and I'm always reminded of the words of St. Paul that uh, be in the world but not of it. And I think what's happened to aspects of the church, it is both in the world and of the world. Mm. And uh, we look at the political influence of the church, and the Roman Catholic Church has a seat of the United Nations and conducts treaties and uh, appoints ambassadors. It's a staggering change from the first century. It's, in, it's interesting to single out a denomination, perhaps though, uh, perhaps though many denominations might be in the same boat. Let's hear from Stu. What are your thoughts, Stu? Oh, I think, um, you know, there, there is a massive contrast between, uh, you know, the, the early church and, and the church today. So um, we've, we've got to get back to the basics. We've got to get back to what did Jesus command us to do? What are we, what are we about? What is our main? We've got to keep the main thing the main thing because that's the main thing. <laughs> and uh, it's very easy, uh, particularly as denominations grow, to, to put the majority of our time and money into keeping the organization going and keeping you know internals going rather than putting that time and money into outreaching into our community and into our world. I want to thank Julian for his call, and uh, he's hung up now. But uh, there is a, an interesting thing that, about what Julian was saying because he was talking about the church, yes. and uh, he's talking about church denominations and even singling out the Roman Catholic Church. And, uh, and I go to great lengths to say, well, uh, there is a sense, isn't there, that, uh, that when the church has assets, the church mm. leadership then may take their eyes off what those original intentions were, uh, evangelism and uh, reaching out to people uh, rather than necessarily just focusing on the, the growing asset. Mm. And, and really uh, what, we, what, we, what I think when, we, when I think of what Julian was saying is uh, mm. the church is not a, a thing. The church is made up of people, people. Right. It's people who share yes. faith and it's not the leaders necessarily because we've all got access to this same Bible. Mm. We've all got this yep. capacity to be in prayer and be enabled by the Holy Spirit to be able to share our faith. So it's not mm. just the church leaders that we need to be critical of. Mm. I think when you say the word church, many many people in their mind immediately get a picture of a building uh, or of a denomination or of a group of denominations. So whereas in the church, like you say, is disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ. Now we are the church, uh, a building's not the church, and so... We've got to be the church. 
<laughs> and we've got to do what Jesus has commanded us to do. Now, obviously, uh, in our day and age, we need some sort of finances. We need money to to uh, to do some of the things that we need to do. And as far as getting the gospel into the world, I mean, things like Vision uh, Radio, for example, you've got it. You've got a lot of you know antennas. You've got a lot of uh, technical stuff that you need. But it's a, a method of reaching thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people with the gospel. So money can be used in a wonderful way. But um, when we want to just when we spend most of our money on ourselves, just keeping our congregation happy, um, that's when I have a problem because really it's got to be about the mission of getting the gospel out and discipling people, uh, and we've got to get back to those basics. I think there is a sense, isn't there? Uh, the world is a very big place, yes, and it takes a coordinated effort. Mm. And so when you've got a local church and people are bringing some financial support into their mm. local church, they're actually enabling an outreach that is far beyond what they can do just as individuals. Mm. So this whole uh, mechanism of the church mm. is a necessary part of it. I think uh, what you're saying is. Uh, even though you've got to have the substance, the mechanism, the assets, all of those things that make it a, a church of substance, mm. uh, you can't lose sight of the motive that needs to be there, which we can see from the first century. Yeah, and and realizing again that that it's not about building, it's not about assets, and not about um, you know a place that you go to to have church. We are the church. So if we just take up the command of Christ and in our day to day lives with our friends and our family and our workmates and our neighbours and and total strangers, we continuously share the gospel and build the kingdom of God. Not a particular denomination, but build Christ's kingdom. If we can have that attitude, then we can be the church that we're meant to be. We are taking calls. Robin is in Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Welcome back to 2020. Yes, hello. Robin, what's Um, your contribution to our conversation today in talking about first century Christians and what they'd see of Christians today if they were translated to here? Well, I think there are parallels in both because... um, I mean, I, I share the views of everyone that's spoken today, but um, in, you know, the church, seven churches in Revelation, wasn't that still in the first century? Um, the church of the yep. Laodicea? That's right, yep. And they had a lot of problems like we're encountering today in some churches that just seem to be all about entertainment and, and that sort of thing. And the other thing I wanted to say, well, actually, I've seen, I've seen the opposite in overseas countries as well where some of the traditional stuff is going off the real Christness of the church and more traditional culture, you know, church culture, but but sort of embedded in their culture, if you know what I mean. So to me, I think the, um, I think the crux of it is the newness um, to individuals or even groups to their experience with Christ. Because overseas, when you've got people that are, from another culture, like um, you come from a Muslim background or something like that, they they very often cannot, um, they don't feel that they're having true fellowship with people from our Western countries because I think that there's a lot of this stuff that's not relevant to them and um, they're actually coming fresh out of it with a fresh experience with Christ. And, um, you know, as I said, I've seen in those countries where Sometimes their culture comes into the church there too, and they can get off on a tangent just as well as we can. So, yeah, absolutely, and and I I think you know it's easy to sort of glamorise the the early church and say that they had it all together, 
but they they had problems. Where there's human beings, there's problems. And whether yeah. you're in the Eastern Church or the Western Church, there's there's definitely problems. Anyone who's travelled uh, will be able to see that. But I think um, you know the early church. They you know because it was so fresh, they'd seen Jesus, yeah. they'd heard his command. Um, in general, they were about sharing the gospel, seeing people saved. It says that, you know, and daily people were added to the church. And that was the, the focus of the church was to get the gospel out because they knew it was powerful. You know, in Romans one sixteen, Paul writes that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And I think in some ways today we've lost the the importance or the, you know, the, the acknowledging the power of the gospel to transform people's lives in today's culture. Robin from Mount Morgan, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. We'll come back and talk some more. You've still got some time to be part of our conversation. one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. We're talking about what would a first century believer do if they were translated perhaps by a time machine into our setting today? What would they think about Christians and the church? You can call us one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. Back with more in just a few moments. Stu Miller, our guest from Train to Proclaim, a hypothetical, I guess, today where we're talking about what would happen if a first century believer, someone who had actually been part of perhaps the apostleship following Jesus or the church in the book of Acts, if they were translated into our century today and were making some judgments about what was going on in Christians' lives and in the church, what would they think? Uh, Let me just uh, bring you back, uh, Stu Miller, our guest today from Train to Proclaim, uh, the idea that the uh, the objective of the early church was evangelism, and of course, salvation was the objective of that of that yes. evangelism. There is a sense in which, while we've got all this technology at our disposal, mm. they too were using whatever they could to get mm. this gospel message out. And we need to be sensitive to the ways that we are different because we've got all of this opportunity which they didn't have. It brings me to a point because uh, one of the things that you do with Train to Proclaim is that you've got a little app that's easily downloadable that helps people to share the gospel in a really relevant way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the uh, the early church they they did they were very innovative and in, and in, in, you know in the way that they reached different cultures. I mean, Paul you know quoted the prophets, uh, the poets of 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 a, of a society. He referred to their their gods and the statue of an unknown god. He he went into the temple and he he you know discussed ideas with people and they said we'll hear more from you. He used whatever avenue he could and whatever platform he could to share the gospel. And uh, I think we've got an unprecedented opportunity today to share the gospel with the technology that we have today, with the internet, with, uh, you know, we've got massive opportunity to be able to reach out. Now, most people these days have got a, a smartphone. And we've put out an app called Gospel in 7, G7, and it's sharing the gospel with someone in seven minutes because often people are very busy these days. They don't, they can't listen to an hour sermon. And so if in seven minutes you can explain your faith, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Now, you can get this for iPhone or iPad or Android phone or tablet. So it's available on both those platforms for phones and tablets. And you just go to the App Store and you can download it. G7 or Gospel in 7. Uh, just put that in the search bar. If you type in Gospel IN and then the number 7, it'll pop up straight away. Uh, just explain for us, Stu, uh, when you've downloaded the app and you're using it, uh, mm-hmm. how does it work? Very briefly, how does, how does the app work? Uh, you know, What does it say to people? 
Yeah, well, like, like I said to you before about our culture, it's, it's a hard thing to break through some of the cultural walls of don't push your religion on me or you know don't talk about religion to me. But in our culture, we're always sharing things on our phone. We're always sharing apps and funnies and different things. Hey, have you seen the latest app on this? And so it's a kind of a cultural appropriate thing to do to say to someone, hey, have you seen this? And you show them your phone and they say, oh, what is it? What's oh, something I'm doing with my church. Okay, what does it do? And then away you go. And the app takes people through a summary of the message of the entire Bible in six and a half minutes. And uh, a lot of people, I find, really do want to know what's in the Bible, but it's a big book. It's a bit heavy, a bit hard to understand for them. And when you offer to show them something you know, that's animated and interesting on your phone, in, in less than seven minutes, you can show them a summary of the message of the entire Bible. They're like, oh, wow, really? And they're quite interested in having a look. And because you don't have a lot of eye contact with them, because they're looking at your phone, they're, they're looking at the, the images that are coming up, it removes a lot of the confrontation and a, a lot of that icy feeling, that we, you know, uncomfortable feeling that we often get when talking with people. And they're relating directly with what the Bible is saying you know, as the app brings that through, rather than an argument with you. So it removes a lot of the arguments. You can be part of our conversation. There may be time for another call, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. Our talkback line is open. Just to uh, to get back to the things that are a part of our topic today, if you had that first century Christian translated into the 21st century making some judgments, what did things look like? Well, we, we discovered that evangelism was the main objective. When we look at the book of Acts, they were evangelizing. They were reaching out. Uh, people were led in faith to put their trust in Christ. Uh, they were uh, repenting, they were being baptized. Another thing that was happening, of course, was that they were planting churches. Mm. Uh, church planting is happening today too, but perhaps not on the scale that we ought to expect, given there are so many churches around, that mm. maybe every church needs to be following that example too of church planting. Yeah, well, church planting is, is challenging in our culture because, like you say, we do have quite a few churches around. And generally what happens when a church is planted is, is that you, you get – you know, transfer growth from another, you know, other churches that come along, and you, and you might grow a church of fifty or a hundred, or and then expand. But um, the challenge for me, and and I would want to challenge every pastor listening, is is where are you going to get your growth from in your church? If you want to see your church grow, if you want to plant another church, is it going to be real growth from people? going from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, being converted, genuine conversions, or are you just going to make a more entertaining church, you know, and have a better marketing program than the church down the road and draw people from other denominations into your church? I would challenge us all as Christians, we need to be growing the kingdom of God. We've got to be looking for genuine church growth, genuine uh, people coming to faith. Uh, like you say, the early church was all about that. Paul often, you know, talked about running the race and, and encouraged us to look towards the goal you know, to, to win the prize. And, and uh, in Acts twenty twenty four, he says, but I, I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish the race, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so he was saying, look, this is, you know, all all, all these exhortations about running the race. He's saying, well, this is the race. It's it's to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And, uh, you know, we've got to get back to having our focus 
back on on the, this powerful message that's transforming people's lives. Another one of those things that was happening in the first century church is that they were really empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Now, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to yes. to share their faith, and a mm. lot of that power came from the source that mm. we know as prayer. Uh, yes. Prayer and evangelism, they they do go hand they in go, hand. They definitely go hand in hand. Yes. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we, we, we probably can beat up the church today and say, you know, we're doing a lot of things wrong and, and all the rest of it. But, you know, we, we we do do a lot of things right. We we have fantastic worship. We've we've got, you know, um, prayer can be really good in some churches, maybe not so, so good in other churches. You know, fellowship's good. There's a whole lot of areas that we do do well in church. There's good teaching in, in a lot of churches. So, but... You know, in in this particular area, and, and what I would say is that the main focus of the Great Commission, you know, and, and proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, we've really got to say, hey, maybe this is a bit of a, a weakness that we need to improve on. We need to give it some focus. We need to, to be bold and, uh, you know, take up some practical tools like the G7, you know, app, for example. And if you're sitting there going, hey, I really want to share the gospel, but I don't really know how. I've heard all these sermons about going into the world. I hear you, you know, what you're talking about, but how do you actually do it in our culture? Well, get a hold of the app. Give it a go. See if you can uh, reach through those cultural barriers and, and share the good news of Jesus. And And it's amazing what we'll see happen. We still do need to have someone's hand to hold as yes. we're learning to get on our feet and sharing our faith. And mm. I guess that's what an app does. It makes things a little bit easier. It's like it a, does. Yeah. It's like an electronic hand to hold. Yes. Uh, but the message is powerful. Uh, running out of time, uh, Stu Miller, our guest. Uh, Stu, the Train to Proclaim website? Uh, com. And, of course, you can download the app. Go to your app store, either Android or iPhone. It's called Gospel in 7 or the G7 app. And you might like to avail yourself of getting a hold of that G7 app uh, in order to help you to be a great evangelist. Uh, Stu uh, Miller from Train to Proclaim, thanks so much for being with us again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Raising a family these days can be a pretty tough job. Get the help you need from the Focus on the Family team. Tonight after the news at 8 Eastern. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.